For uh, so many of us, our stories are like Jason and Allison's where we were raised in church, or at least around church, enough to know that uh, in our area, at least, it's often viewed as the, the right thing to do, right? And we fix my, Alex, will you help her fix my timer? I don't want to talk for an hour and a half today. It's, it's messed up, dude. Right? Nobody wants me to talk for an hour and a half today, so for everybody's sake, fix my timer. Um, yeah, so I, most of us have raised enough around, you know, a church culture here. I mean, we're Bible Belt. I mean, we're Illinois, but everybody misunderstands where we are in Southern Illinois. Like, like Southern Illinois is like, we're really Southern Illinois, right? You ever get those people who are just confused? They think we're talking about, like, Springfield? I'm like, no, 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 like, way down here. So we're Bible Belt, right? Like, we have churches on every corner. And, and so most of us are raised around that. And whether we were in church or not, again, we kind of have this sense culturally, and, it, and though it's, it's maybe leaving some, right? Some of you are mourning the loss of that in, in our kids and in their, you know, the next generation's uh, lives. But it's been a part of most of our lives where it's, it's this expectation that, you know, to, you're supposed to go to church, right? Whether you do or how often you go, but we know it's the right thing to do fundamentally. And so maybe we attend, maybe we don't, maybe we are super involved, maybe we just show up on Christmas and Easter. Uh, but oftentimes we just don't give church itself and the existence of it a second thought, right? Like it's just kind of a part of our culture. However, if you kind of take a step back and, and ask yourself why, I mean really to do something just because it's what we've always done, right? It's because of part of what our lives are. Like that's, we don't, no one would call that wise in any, you know, business aspect or just any life aspect. Or just to do something because it's what we've been taught to do isn't necessarily the best approach. And so um, it's smart to kind of take a step back. In fact, there's a, there's a pretty big movement. You may have seen a, a TED Talk or heard of a guy named Simon Sinek who has really gone viral and written some books. But, but his big thing is, is start with why. Anytime you're running an organization, anytime you're running a business, any, like you need to ask the question why that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, and, and not to get into all that. But there's, this, there's, there's conventional wisdom in that that's beyond church. But so for us, man, if we just do church because that's what has always been done, that, I think that is when we start to end up making it really about us, right? That's when we end up fighting about our preferences. When a church has a clear mission that they're called to and they're driving toward that, most likely, more often than not, they aren't arguing about carpet color. Amen. Like when a church has a, a reason to exist, a, a purpose, and something God has called them to and where they're headed, they're not going to be arguing about petty stuff. But whenever we lose that, that's when we start to make it about us and our, our preferences and we get some of the, the toxic church stuff that, that maybe some of you have experienced. So each year around this time, we at The Journey seek to uh, re-clarify what our purpose is as a church through a vision and mission series um, in the fall. And so here's where we just want to ask why. Like why does The Journey Southern Illinois exist? Why are we here? What, what, do we, what do we feel God has called us to? What are we hoping to accomplish? And Because on one hand, you could, you could say that there are already a lot of churches here in our area, right? And there are. Some can even argue that there's too many, perhaps. There's this type, and there's that type, and the, but they're, they're really everywhere. And so is the journey just here? Because, you know, if you're looking at it from a business aspect, you could say, well, clearly people like to go to church here in this area. And so why don't we do a church that is whatever, and maybe we'll, you know, fill in the blank with our type of worship, our type of preaching, and maybe we'll get a market share of the Christians and we can have a sustainable deal. And, and, and for some, maybe that's why they start churches. And for some, maybe they assume that's just what, what we're doing, like that we just have a different plethora of varieties and, um, you know, people can pick from and, you know, those who want to go to church can pick the one they like the best and whatever. And, and there's certainly not all unhealthy aspects to that, that we do need lots of variety of churches to reach lots of different people. But I want to tell you that that we exist a whole, for a whole lot more than that, because although you would be right to say that there are a lot of churches here in Southern Illinois, um, I think that at the same time, there's a disproportionate amount of brokenness 
per capita in relation to the churches. You see, if, you, if you're honest, you can see that our area is being influenced. It's being changed. But it's, it's not, too often, it's not by the influence of the gospel that all these churches are preaching. That our, our area, like many others around the country, it's not exclusive to us, but our area is being influenced by addiction, by poverty, by kids entering the foster care system at a rate that is, is record-setting and alarming. Those sorts of things are shaping and changing and influencing our area as we live here and, and as life goes on. Like that are the, those are the things that are making an impact. And so with this, I, I, I see this ever-widening gap between church people and those that are in this lost and darkness. And, and here's what I mean by that. Like, churches exist, and, and, and there are people that are going to go to church here in Southern Illinois. Like, that, that's just going to happen. And, and what happens, though, is, is people that are, you know, in that dark, that world of darkness, it's not that they haven't heard of Jesus. Most of them have. Most of them have probably attended a Bible school or come to a church service at some point. They know the, the general spiel about getting to heaven and that sort of thing. But there just begins, I, I just observe this widening of this gap between church people, right, that, that are going to do their thing and or at least pretend to do, you know, live this certain lifestyle, and then this area of darkness that is just kind of growing in our community and ever increasing in numbers. And, and we, as churches, we don't always know what to do about it. And I'll tell you what, what's easy for us to do is to do events, right? Like we, it's not that we don't want to love those people. And by those people, I mean people on the margins, much like the ones that Jesus loved in the Gospels. If you read those, it freaked the religious people out who Jesus spent his time with. To the point that he literally was called, what? The friend of sinners. So in Jesus' time, he didn't come and rally up all, all the churches and say, hey guys, here's what we're going to do. There's a bunch of people that need help and they need to know that they need a Savior. And so we're going to throw this big event and hopefully you can come and fill this role and do this thing. And, and we'll get a bunch of people in here and we'll tell them this message and we'll see what sticks. And then, and then, you know, and then we'll be good and we'll do it again next year. No, Jesus called the disciples to follow him. And where did he go? He went right into people's lives. He went right into people's lives. And he lived life for them, and he called them to the dinner table, and he called them to break bread with one another, and he called them to show grace to one another, and he started a revolution. He started a revolution. That we're still, like, that, like literally history is divided upon before Christ and in the year of our Lord. Like, we're still seeing that lived out, and that, that is, that is the, the world that we live in today. But I think what happens so often in our churches today is we're willing to do an event. We're w- maybe even willing to give some money, give some, you know, stuff. But when it comes to, like, getting close to people and living life with people, we don't say this outright. But what happens a lot of times is that we, we really don't know what to do with people until they kind of get their lives cleaned up. And those people don't really know if they're welcome here and if there's a place for them. And when I say here, I'm, I'm speaking generally in terms of churches. And, our, and I, I don't mean to bash and I'm not talking about any church in particular. There are some that are doing great things. I'm just speaking generally. The tone I get as I talk to people that are far from the Lord about how they view church and how they feel like church views them is that they feel like they need to clean themselves up or that that's something you do once you get yourself. I've heard that several times from people in my own immediate family that, well, I'll start coming to church whenever I can get my life right. Like, no. Like, and and we, we don't mean, like, we know that's not the gospel, but do we present that with our life? Like, when we come in here and we... The, the way that we approach things. And, and, you know, James talks about showing partiality and not showing partiality. And he talks about people come through the door. It shouldn't matter how they're dressed or what they're looking like. We should treat them all the same. And we should love on them. And, and I know from talking to people that have come into our church and many others that they don't always feel like 
they're, they're welcome there. So what do we do with that? And, and, here's, and that, I think that those are just some things that, that attribute or contribute to this widening gap between church people and the brokenness in our community. So what do we do about it? Again, I, I don't think the issue with, with people around here is that they haven't heard of Jesus. Most of them have been around church. I, I would say that the issue with this massive disconnect is that they see they see a disconnect between church and the real world. And too often we validate their claims of hypocrisy and a lack of concern for those that are suffering. So here's what I, I believe that our, our area needs is not just a bunch of people to go out and do street evangelism. Right? Although that's good. But here's what, I, here's what I've seen. Most people have heard some form of that gospel presentation and they just don't know how it gets them out of their mess, how it meets them where they are, and how it can transform their life. Right? They, they just see okay, I've heard that before, maybe even I've prayed that prayer before. And, it, and, and so what I believe our, our area needs is, is for the people of God to begin to live as the people of God and to go and live a life that is intentionally relational with the people that they're living next to, working next to, and playing sports next to. We talk about this all the time. You know this. But when we, when we embody that sort of love to our community, and we, we walk with people, not just say, hey, come to church and you know, hopefully you get stuff figured out and then you can be a part of our deal, but when we enter into their mess, when we're willing to say, I know you're an addict, come and sit at my dinner table anyway. When we're willing to say, I know that your family's a mess and I know that I got your kid in foster care, but come and sit at my table anyway. When, when we're willing to make choices like that and to intentionally engage in the lives of those in our community, I believe that God will use that to make an impact, and not just like a little, like I believe that God wants to actually change the world, like, and here's what, I don't just believe it, like I, I see it in the scripture, like that that's what God is doing, and that's how Jesus approached ministry, was relationally in people's homes, around the dinner table, and living life together with one another, and, and maybe you even heard this before, and, and you're like, okay, I just don't know how to do it, so we're going to talk about that for the next three weeks, we're going to look at Here's what, here's what I want us to, to focus on, and here's really what I want to redefine our, our vision and mission here at the church. It's not a new vision and mission. It's been love God, connect people, transform the world. I just want to expound on that with this idea. And here's what I, here's what I want to say about our church, what, why we exist in a sentence, in a paragraph. We'll, we'll boil it down, honestly. Our vision statement, what I want to see, is just the name of this series, Rewriting Stories of Brokenness Through relationships. That, that's really what I want people to know about the journey, is that that place is about rewriting stories of brokenness through relationships. But if we want to expand that a little bit more to include the why, here's how I would say it. Our world is broken. Nobody's going to argue that, right? We know that. Our world is broken. And if we're honest, so are we as individuals. The journey exists to, to join God in rewriting stories of brokenness through redemptive relationships. Three specific relationships. We believe that everyone needs to be forgiven and restored by Jesus. That everyone needs to be known and accepted by his people. That's community. That's the connect people. And then lastly, that we believe that in order to fully experience salvation and fully experience the joy that God has called us to, that everyone should be relationally on mission in our community. We should be having intentional relationships for the sake of spreading the gospel. So I want to cover just that first piece today, that we believe our world is broken, and the first need that we all have is to be forgiven and restored 
by Jesus. And when I say we all, I don't mean just the church, but I mean that's what our community needs. And all these things fuel one another. And as we go on mission, it's going to drive us back to our need for more of Jesus. And when, as we live out community, it's going, to, uh, drive, it's going to drive us back to Jesus and grow us more like Jesus. And then it's going to send us out into the world. So it's not a one-step, two, three sort of deal. You get the relationship with Jesus down, and then you, you know, do community, and then you do mission. It's as we do all of these things together, they all work together to to live out the salvation, the abundant life that, that Christ has called us to. So I want to work through this passage, this famous passage in Ephesians 2, and I just want you to really see that I'm, I'm trying to pull that from this, that I didn't just come up with that as, oh, that really sounds good, that I, I believe that that is embodied and found in Ephesians 2 and really throughout the whole story of Scripture. But uh, Ephesians 2 is one of the richest doctrinally um, packed text in the Bible. It's one of my favorites, and and, it, and we certainly cannot uh, look at every aspect of it today. And so I really want to drive home just, just one point. We're going to look at the, the, the ten verses, but I want to drive home just one point, and, here, and it's this. That though our works are not needed for our justification, for our salvation, right, for Jesus to forgive us and to bring us into his family, that doesn't require us to do anything. We are saved not by our works, but we are saved unto good works. What I mean is a relationship with Jesus is far more than just saying a prayer and attending church whenever we can. And we talk about relationship with Jesus a lot, like, right? Like, it's not religion, it's relationship. Like, we have that language, we talk about it often, but what does it actually mean? And oftentimes, we, we so emphasize the fact that Jesus has purchased salvation for us, and we, it doesn't require anything of us. Sometimes we just stop there. And we have a bunch of people that just, well, I prayed the prayer and I go to church and like I'm not sure what else to do. I believe God has a purpose for his church. He always has. From the beginning when he started calling a, a people to himself and forming a people in Israel through Abraham, he's had a purpose for that. And all throughout as Jesus comes and the kingdom comes to bear and he sends out the church, it is not to just go, hey, get them to pray a prayer and come set in a service. It is for a purpose. And so you are called. We talked about this in Esther, like that each one of us are are placed where we are for a reason, for a purpose, for God to use us for such a time as this in 2019 to make much of his name to advance his kingdom. And some of us think, okay, well, I don't know what that looks like. That's what we got you for, Jordan. That's what we hire staff. That's what, you know, we hope that our church does great things. But I'm telling you, it's whenever we embody that and as the church scatters and as we go and as we do what we do, we get to proclaim the goodness of God. I see I see Rob Landis nodding there with me as he's always enthusiastic to do, but I, but I, I know that Rob embodies this, this passion that, yes, he runs a business, and, and, and it's called The Good Life, and he wants to sell stuff, but, man, he's just so passionate to walk people into life, and, to, and he doesn't care if you buy anything from him or not. He just wants to walk you through stuff, right? Like, he just wants to, and he just exudes the, the joy of the Lord. He just exudes this hope, and he has compassion, and he walks with and like. No matter what you do, if you're an accountant or an auditor that may seem like the dullest, most dreaded job, like, you do that unto the Lord, and you still work with people, right? And you still live next to some people, probably, and you still get around some people, and the Lord wants to use you unto them. So I want to look at that, because I believe that when we embody this as a church, when we say this is who we are, that we're going to be a church that's about rewriting stories of brokenness, and there's plenty of stories of brokenness in our area. Amen? If you don't know them, ask one of your teachers that are sitting close to you, ask one of the law enforcement officials that are sitting close to you, and they can tell you some stories of brokenness, and they can introduce you to some families. Amen? So there are plenty of stories of brokenness, and when we say, okay, we want to be a church that joins God in rewriting those stories of brokenness through redemptive relationships, and that is not just about them out there. It starts with that. Like, that's all of us. We have to have 
a redemptive relationship with Jesus, and we have to have a redemptive relationship with one another. Otherwise, we're not going to be any good as we engage out there. Amen? So let's look at just that first part today. And again, we're not going to do this passage justice. We're going to do kind of an overview and, and really look at the big idea that, that no, Christ doesn't require anything of us to be saved. He has done that work, but we were actively walking away from him before. And once he has saved us, he has saved us to something, to walk in good works. And we're going to look at what that looks like and, and let that kind of shove us out into the rest of this series. So Ephesians 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 1. This our world is broken. That was our statement. It's, it's captured here in 1 through 3. And, and here's why the world is broken. It's not some policy issue. It's not that we just haven't got things written right yet. It's not that we haven't got the right science and, um, you know, insights. It, our world is broken. Why? Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking to a particular group of people there, the Gentiles, but he's going to go on to make it collectively. He says, this is, this is who we were. We were once following the course of this world. Okay, you, you, I, I can't unpack all this, but you think about like what, he, what he's saying is we were dead in our trespasses and sins because we were, we were walking, actively following the course of this world. What the world says is good. What the world says is right. We were on that path. But Jesus says there's a way that seems right in the man, right? That wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path. Like, that we were all on that wide path, walking our way to destruction because we were following the course of this world, even the influence, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So what he's saying is, you're a part of the church now, people at Ephesus, but don't you dare look out there and go, man, those people, those people, if they just got it together, those are the sons of disobedience out there, right? And that's what we do so often in church. We, well, they out there. And maybe we'll even open our doors and say, hey, y'all can come in here. Paul is saying, listen, don't forget y'all were out there, that we were all out there, right? That the, one, that the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience, is the one that, that is leading people into addiction, into all of this mess that we see in our world, that we loathe, that we hate to see, that we, that we mourn, we don't know what to do about, that that same spirit was the one that we were following before Jesus picked us up and rescued us. That's the first thing we have to realize, that there's no us and them. It's, it's us, like we collectively have needed Jesus and we're without hope. And that's why our world is broken. It's not... Again, it's not some policy. It's, it's sin. Sin is fractured and broken our world. Verse 3 drives us home. Among whom we all once lived in what? In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. What does that mean? By nature, children of wrath. That means that our very nature was to get what we wanted, to pursue what we thought would, would feel good, would fulfill us, and fill in the blank. And, and, and that, when we're running that direction, the course of this world, the, the following the prince of the power of the air, when we're doing what we feel like we need to do, that we are in direct rebellion to God. And that makes us children of wrath. And, that, and, and so we're active in that, okay? You need to hear that. that. It wasn't just like some, well, you know, it's just... I need to be saved because we all, like, no, we are actively in rebellion to God. We were all made our choice. Like, we, yes, we were born into sin, and we were certainly inclined to that by our nature, but we were actively walking, like, the, the language there is that in, what, in which you went, once walked, following, following, among whom, like, we were all doing this, right? We were actively running away from God, which made us children of wrath. That, like all of mankind, that is the world's problem. 
Okay? So yes, we can debate politics. Yes, we can debate different policy issues. And there are certainly good things that need to be done and good work that needs to be done. And I pray that God calls you to do some of that good work, that you engage in those things. But it is not ultimately our source of brokenness in this world. Our source of brokenness is our sin. That's why Paul's saying our world is broken. And so are we. Like, it's because of that. Paul is lining that out, verses 1 through 3. But then verse 4 has the best news. It has the best news. Because that is our state. That is where we all fall. Romans 3 says that we've all sinned and fall, that no one's seeking God. No one's doing good. No one, there's not good guys and bad guys. Some going to heaven, some going to hell. And like whoever can get on the right side of that and get their, you know, scale to outweigh good versus bad. None of that. None of that. We are all children of wrath. We are all in rebellion to God. And that's just the statement. That's just the truth. That's the diagnosis of our world. You, me, apart from Christ, those people, whoever you fill in the blank with out there that aren't in the church this morning, that caught up in a, a dick, whatever it may be. Sin. Sin is the root of that. But God has done something. Verse 4, being rich in mercy. We don't deserve it, but he's going to give it anyway. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ. By, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, listen to that language. We were actively in rebellion to God. We were dead and hopeless without him, but he, but God has done something. So we're active in our rebellion. We're active in our sin. We're active in bringing about the destruction of our lives. And yet, are we the ones that, like, does it say, but a few people finally got it right. A few people found the right path and got on it and, and they achieved salvation. No, no, no. What's it say? But, but God, being rich in mercy, none of us deserved it. He intervened he because of the great love in which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved it's going to say later not by your own works so that no one can boast it's by great like he so we're the active ones in our rebellion he's the active one in our salvation he is the one that has made a way he is the one that saves us he is the one that picks us up out of our mess. The Bible says that not just like it's not the guy that's floating in the ocean and somebody just throws in a raft and if you got the will to like to, to grab onto it, then it'll pull it. Like, no, it says we were dead. Like we're floating at the bottom in the dead man's position, like there's no hope. And, and Jesus reaches down and picks us up. And, and 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 not just like sets us back on the surface and gives us another chance to swim. Right? And hopefully you don't mess this one up. What's it say he does? Like, by nature, we were children of wrath before. What, what is this one? It, it says he's going to take us out of that place of being children of wrath. And what does it say? He's going to seat us, raise us up with, with him. Remember, Jesus has been raised. We sing about that all the time. Jesus dies the death we should have died. But then he's raised to life. And it says we're raised to, to, and we're placed where only Jesus belongs. But yet he's extended that to us. And we're, we're, we're raised with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's not just talking about like when we get to heaven someday. Like that's a present tense reality that he's seated us out of this place of being children of wrath and into this place of being seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. And no longer are we children of, of wrath and under the slavery of sin and under the, the power of the, the evil one. But instead, we are on the other side of this deal. And Jesus has breathed new life into us. And we have the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We have living in us seated with him 
And there's, and there's this idea of relationship, that it's not just <clears throat> pray this prayer and come to church and, you know, now you're a part of the family of God and you come to these dysfunctional family meals and maybe you don't say anything, you just leave, you're just paying your dues, whatever. No, no, it, it's, this is communal. This is with him. This is, we're, we're placed in the same, like we are in relationship with, with the living God, the Jesus that, that conquered the grave. We're with him and it's only by his work. So I want you to see that, that he has accomplished this work. And then as we go on, but, but, and, and so a lot of times we stop there. And we should stop and pause, and there should be some hallelujahs. And y'all will get there. We'll work on it. But, but a lot of times we just stop there, and we say, well, that's the end of the gospel, right? That Jesus made a way, and you can pray this prayer, and you can be saved, and we hope to see you at church on Sunday, and all is good until you stop coming to church, and then we're concerned about you, and we need to get back in church. And, and it's kind of, that's kind of the sum of the deal, if, if we're honest. Like, that's how most of us have have been presented, and, and there'll be some, you know, varsity people that are going to go on and be church leaders and do, you know, kind of, they'll be really committed, but for most of us, like, you know, okay, I prayed the prayer, I did the thing, I give some money, get, like, leave me alone, like, we, and we kind of present, like, we kind of come to a stop there, but listen, we miss out if we don't keep reading, listen to this, listen, listen to, I don't know, listen to, I don't have my phone on me, but somehow that was loud. But listen to the so that, like there's for a reason. It doesn't end there. He's raised us up. See the, the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, right? In Christ Jesus, not just like beside, like, talk, like in him. We talk about that in baptism, that we're buried with Christ in his death, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. I think it's Galatians 2. We got that passage up there that, that says, it is no, that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God, who loved and gave himself for me. Can somebody say amen? amen. Like, and, and, and that's what he's saying. In Christ, like we are in him positionally. God looks at us and he doesn't see our mess, what we did yesterday or the day before. He sees Christ. And that's what allows us to pray. You realize you don't have any authority or any, you, you realize, we talked about in Xerxes, and uh, we just finished a book, uh, series on the book of Esther, and nobody could come into Xerxes' presence without his permission, otherwise they're going to be killed, right? You realize our God is so much more powerful and so much more holy that you and I have no business in his presence. You understand that, right? We don't just walk up in and ask him for stuff. It doesn't work that way. We have no business being in the presence of a holy God because we're sinful children of wrath. It's only when we're made in Christ that our identity has been changed. We're no longer children of wrath. So now when we come in that door, we're not seen with our list our rap sheet of sins we're seen in Christ that allows us to approach the throne of the holy God and pray to him and pray to him like when we pray like I heard one pastor say, like, all of heaven is looking down on us, and we seem bored, and, and I'm as guilty as this as anybody. Like, I'm anxious. I want to get to doing stuff. But all of heaven is looking down going, do, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know whose ear you have right now? Do you know who's listening? And the only way that we have that opportunity is because of what Christ has done, and we're made in Christ. So if you're here and you're a Christian, what that means is that you understood that you're a sinner and you need a Savior, and you've made a plea to the Lord saying, I'm, I'm, I'm helpless without you. I believe that I need a Savior because I'm a sinner, and Jesus, I believe that you are that Savior. And in that moment, he takes out our heart, our heart of stone, and he puts in a heart of flesh. We're born again, and this time we're born into Jesus Christ. 
he takes our old identity. He takes our old life of sin upon himself, and he nailed it to the cross, disarming that mess forever, forever. The Bible is full of such rich language here. He says, it's as, like he takes our sins, and he gets so rid of them that it's not like he's going to talk. Like No, no, they're, they're as far removed as from east is from the west. Like They're never going to be brought back up. Why? Because we're in Christ now. We're not just like given a, a, another chance and see if we can do it and see how good you can do it. No, 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 we're in Christ. We have a new identity. We're no longer children of wrath. But, okay, so that, that's good news. And, but it's for a reason. Like it doesn't stop there. God is doing something in this beyond just, like he's not just like, man, I got that guy. I'm really good to go now. And he just like, you know, waits the end of this thing. Like he's doing something. There's, a pro, there, there's something that he's accomplishing. And then we see that in verse 7. So that. He's done all this so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So he wants the broken world that one talked about in 1 through 3. He wants them. He wants that broken mess, even Satan, even the one that's leading people astray. He wants them to see the immeasurable riches of his grace. Not to see, hey, look how good these people are. No, no, no. He wants people to see, look how good Jesus is. Through the way that we live. So, but he has a purpose for us, right? Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Listen. You've got to just soak in here. This is not of your own doing. You need to tell yourself that. You need to know that. Some of you are, are wallowing in guilt because you feel like you've let the Lord down. And you're not living. Like, it was never about what you've done in the first place. It's not your own doing. Otherwise, you could certainly send that mess away and you'd be helpless again, right? I would be. It's by grace that we've been saved. It's not of our own doing. And there's a reason for that. What's it say? So that no one can boast. So what a lot of people are going to do. They're going to come to church. They're going to get their life cleaned up. They're going to they're go doing their thing. And, and we're going to be tempted to start taking credit for that, right? We're going to be tempted to start believing that, we're, that we have cleaned ourselves up. And that's how a lot of people that are out there, they view us. Well, you know, those people have chose to go to church. They've chose to live a Christian life. They're going to do their thing now. And I'm just not there. I don't have that desire. I certainly don't have that ability. And so they see this disconnect of like, well, that's that. And until I can get there, I don't know if I have a place there. We as Christians should be the ones that are going out and saying, no, 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 you don't get it. I don't deserve to be there either. I don't deserve it at all. As John Piper says, there's just one poor beggar. I want to tell some other beggars where they can find bread. It ain't about me. So that no one can boast. Jesus has done this work so that no one could boast. But here's how I want to end. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. He's, we know that. God created us, right? He created us for a purpose. It's our sin that separate. Like, we hear that. But, but listen, he created us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. You hear that similar language? What we were doing before. We were walking in rebellion to God, right? We were walking, following the course of this. This is what we were walking in our trespasses and sin. Like, and so we're active in our rebellion. Jesus is the active one in our salvation, picks us up, gives us a new identity, puts us in Christ so that what? We could walk in the way that God has made us to do. And a lot of people freak out. They go, well, we're, we're saved to walk into good works. I don't know about that. And we've got to make sure people don't think they've they got to you know, earn their salvation by having good works. Listen, I think it was Martin Luther. I should have looked up the quote. But he said, no, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. What that means is when he saves us, he has a purpose for us. And it's not, and what this feels like for many of us is like this is extra. Like that God, okay, he saved us and now we owe him. So we've got to do these things, right? 
And so when, when, when the, the pastor is telling us what a Christian should do and how we should live, we feel like, like that's just God tightening down the screws on our life, and we feel this guilt, and, well, I don't know if I could do that. And we look at it as this add-on thing, right? But here's the deal. Like, part of salvation is living in the, the life that God has made for you. It's not just forgiving you so that you can come and, you know, go to church, like, feel better about not having your guilt for your sins and look forward to going to heaven. Like, it's saving you unto the way that you were actually meant. So we're, we're not made to. Our hearts are not meant to have rest and joy in being in rebellion to God. You understand that? So when we're in our trespasses and sin, as it lines out in 1 through 3, there's something in us that we know life's not right, right? We know this is not how we're meant to be. Even those that are like nailing it and getting, you know, getting the money, getting the success, getting the popularity, fill in the blank, got the happy, they, they, you, you hear this all the time, like there's still something in us. Like we see this, our celebrities model us for this, but you see this all the time that there's still something left. Like we're not made to live in rebellion to God. We'll never find hope, never find peace, never find joy or life abundant in our former state as children of wrath in rebellion to God. But when he saves us, he puts us in Christ. When we're in Christ, we begin to live as Christ has called us to live. And it's a good thing. So when he calls us and he says, hey, I want you to be a people that are generous. I want you to be a people that are sacrificial in the way that you live your life. Meaning, fill in the blank, right? Meaning what you give, meaning how you live, like who you let in your home, who you like. When he, when he calls us to be humble, when he says the, ser- the le- that those that want to be the greatest among you are going to make, you, make themselves the least. When you hear that, you can be like, oh, man, i got to be better. i got to be. No, no, no. He's saying when you do that, you choose against the way of this world, and you put yourself down here and you follow Jesus, that's where you find life. You find life there. So we're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. And what that means is we're following Jesus. We're walking out the way that Jesus has called us to live. And some of us, we don't know this. We just take another step forward, and it's not till we've done it for a while, till we've lived our life generously, till we've done hard things that we begin to see, oh, yeah, yeah, God has goodness for us here. God has life for us here. Because he wants to accomplish something, even in that. So in you personally, that's how you experience life. Jesus, it's all over the Gospels that you lay down your life, pick, pick up your cross daily and come after me. That sounds like this chore, this burden, but really it's an invitation to life. Jesus says you want to save your life, you've got to lose it and lay that thing down. Get rid of all your agendas. You've got to open up your hands and let it all fall out and say, all I want is you, Jesus. And when you do that, you'll find it. The world's going to look at you going, man, you're crazy. You just, like, you're crazy. And here, no, no, Paul, like Paul. All I had before I counted is rubbish. For the joy, like for knowing Christ Jesus. So that's what he wants to accomplish in us personally, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's what he wants to do in us corporately as a church. Flip over if you're looking and, and uh, scroll down if you're on an app. But look at Ephesians 3. So the next chapter, I want to read verses 9 and 10. That really, you should read all of Ephesians. It's a short book, but 1 through 3. Like Paul has just used as many big words as he can think of, as many descriptors, as many adjectives. Like he is, he is begging and hoping that, the, that, that these people would understand what God has. This is like in, verse, in chapter 1 earlier. This is where it says, oh, that I wish you would know the height and depth and breadth. Like that, that's where this comes from. And it all culminates in this. And he's saying there, there's a reason that I want you to do all this, experience all this as a church, because God has a plan. Verse 9 of chapter 3 says, is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God 
might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, in whom we have our boldness and our access and our confidence in, through our faith. Why does the church exist? So that the manifold, the manifold wisdom of God would be on display to the world. That's a whole different deal than just trying to get the market share of some Christians, isn't it? Just trying to have a good church that we can go to. And so I want you to ask that of yourself. Like, what kind of church do I want to be a part of? Is it, and, and I just want you to answer it honestly. Like, do you want to be a part of a church where you can just come and, you know, you're going to enjoy the way we do music, we're going to enjoy the way we, you know, structure our services and preach or whatever, and then we can kind of, you know, just go back into our existence? Get a relevant sermon, you know, something to talk about as a family? Or do we want to be a part of a church that believes that God is at work in this broken world? And that he wants to use us to make a difference. He wants to use us to push back darkness. He wants to use us to rewrite stories of brokenness. A church that makes their community better through their relational ministry. Listen, I've, I've told Joe this before. Like, I'm just not interested in pastoring a church that just tries to do it cooler and better so that people will pick us off of the buffet of churches. Let's just, I'm just not going to give my life for that. It doesn't, that doesn't fire me up. There's people that do better music and preach better sermons. Right? But we exist because we believe there's still a whole bunch of broken people in Williamson County, in our region, in the world, that need to know the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. And we believe that it's when a people like us that know we're flawed and imperfect, that know that it's only by Jesus that we've been saved, when people like us take that message out, Romans 1, 16 says, man, there's power in that. There's power in the gospel. Because that is the power by which little kings save. And that's the testimony. That's how God is going to bring revival. That's how he's going to actually change the complexion of our area. And listen, you have to understand, we're going we're gonna to get to that. We're going to get to how, like we're going to talk in the next couple weeks, kind of how do we flesh that out. But for today, here's, here's what I want you to focus on. Here's what I want you to think about. Have you encountered Jesus in such a way that he's just consumed your life? That you, you literally want to change the way you live just to make people know him here? And, and a lot of you, that feels like, oh man, he's tightening down the screws again. I got to do more for the church. No, no, no. Don't you think about it this way. You, you remember what it was like to fall in love if you've been there and done that? You remember how you just got consumed with that person, didn't you? Did you start thinking about him all the time? Right? Or you just had a crush, even, right? Whatever. Like, you start thinking about them all the time. And, and, you, and you're always making plans to be with them. You're always making plans to surprise. Like, you, you just, that's all you, like, and you keep doing your, the rest of your life, right? You still got to go to work, still got to go to school, you got to do your stuff. But, like, you just get consumed by that, right? You know that feeling? Listen, following Jesus is a whole lot more like that than it is just punching off a, ch- a bunch of rules. This is why so many of us feel like we can't be a good Christian because we're, we can't do our quiet time. We never have any devotion and prayer, whatever, because we're looking at it as, okay, I have this much life to live, and i got to do all of these things, and I know I really need to spend some time with Jesus, so i got to find a way to work it in that schedule, and i got to just, i got to do this. i, I got to figure it in. And then just guilt just 
heaps over us because we don't figure that out. We don't get there, and we feel like we're bad Christians, bad children of God, and blah, blah, blah. Like, but here's, we're, we're trying to just add that into what we're already doing in life. What Bible is really, really clear. Read Luke 9. Read, like, it's really, really clear that there's such a transformation that happens when we actually see Jesus, that all this stuff just gets dropped, and we just go toward him. Like, that's what repentance is. Like, I, I don't even know. I'll have to deal with that later. Like, some of that's good stuff, and I gotta get the, I gotta get Jesus first. Like that's the big rocket. Like, and it consumes us. And and some of you are not comfortable with that language of like falling in love with Jesus. And I'm not saying like Jesus is my boyfriend. Like that's a we, like Jesus is a holy Lord coming back. Like you know you need to you need to have that some context. But the the language the Bible is full of language about him being our groom and us being his bride as the church. And it's all about him pursuing us and pursuing us and taking on our enemy so that he can win us back, right? Like every romantic hero story is robbing from this greater story. You need to know that it is a whole lot more like falling in love than it is checking off boxes. And when we get, like, here's the deal. The next couple weeks, we're going to talk about how we do ministry. What do we do as a church? And I could, we could just go there, and we could probably motivate some of you guys, and, and people will change for a bit, and we'll start doing some, you know, community and some mission and whatever. But that's just going to be short-lived. It's kind of like a, you know, smacking a balloon up in the air, and it's just going to fall back down. I've got to keep coming back and smacking it up so that people keep doing Here, here's Here's the invitation. Before we get to that, before we start thinking about how that plays out, here's what I want you to just Do you know Jesus in such a way that it's just ravaged your life? You know Jesus in such a way that you just have to have him, and the people around you have to have him. They have to know how great he is. You know how obnoxious a person that's falling in love is, right? Or obnoxious a person that just had a kid is, right? Like they got to show everybody a picture. They got to talk about it. They gotta, you, know what this, you know what they did yesterday? You know what they did? The, you know, you're just talking, and people are like, you know, like just, like we should, like we should be exhausting people with our, our, our joy and our love for Jesus. Do you know what Jesus has done for me? Do you know how Jesus saved me? you know how much I didn't deserve him and he came for me anyway? Do you know what he did yesterday? Did you see that stinking sunrise? Did you see that sunset? Have you looked at the stars lately? Isn't Jesus amazing? should be consumed like that and when you're consumed like that you begin to worship him you begin to pray to him he'll send you on mission right i'm not going to guilt you into that man that's like filling the balloon up with helium that thing's just going to take off you just gaze at him he'll take care of the mission part we'll talk about we have we have some strategy we have some things we want to do but man we have to start here we have to start here so questions to ask as we close. Have you come to know Jesus that way? And, and for some of you, you're like, no, I've never, like, I just thought it was about coming to church, putting whatever, like, if this is new to you, like, the Bible says today you can experience new birth. You can be saved. I'd love to have you come forward to pray with you. Come get me, we'll go to the back, like, whatever, like, somebody next to you just say, I need to know this Jesus. Like, we'll pray with you at the response time. And others of you, maybe you, you've known that, but you've lost that vigor. You've lost that zeal. I would invite you to pray the prayer that David prayed. He says, just, Lord, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? You notice the language there? Your salvation. A lot of times we pray that. Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. No, restore the joy of your salvation, that you accomplished this for me, Jesus, that you have made a way. I invite you to pray that. And then, Again, what kind of church do you want to be a part of? One that, that Jesus uses to make the manifold wisdom of God known to the world around us. Isn't that what we want? People talking about Jesus because of what God's done here at the journey. I don't give a mess if anybody knows the name of the journey or my name or whatever. 
right? Who cares? If people are talking about Jesus because of the way that y'all are living your life, that's when, that's when we're winning. That's when, that's when the church is on mission. Amen? So would you just, if, if you've never, like if you just, if that's been you and you've just kind of done life the way that Jason was talking about in the video or the way that I've been describing, and you've never like just committed to following, like Jesus, the relationship thing, it's just never clicked for you. I'm just inviting you to make that commitment today. You don't have to know what it's going to look like. Well, I don't know if I'm going to do this role or that. I don't have to go there yet. You should make that commitment today. Because you don't know what he's going to do in your life. He wants to use you. He wants to, more than that, I don't even want to say it that way. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to walk with him. He wants to be in relationship with him in Christ. And maybe you've just missed out on that for whatever reason. You can just come and ask him for that. Just plead for that. Just ask, Jesus, help me just be in you. You just got to be for a while. Just be still. Work some stuff out. Let him be with you. So if that's you, if you need to know Jesus for the first time, I invite you to come. If you need to pray, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation, I invite you to come. And for the rest of you, would you just come and pray for our church? We want our church to be known. Like we, and we want to be a part, again, not even our church. We want to be a part of God rewriting stories of brokenness. Don't we want that? We want to see lives changed. Would you just join me in praying for that? Let's pray. God, I... Thank you for grace that has saved us, that none of us could boast. And I pray that you would do your work here and now, that that grace would overwhelm each of us, and that we would respond accordingly. Some for the first time, some to, to just say, Lord, I need, I need that, the, the joy back. I need to fall in love with you again. Would you extend grace to that? And Lord, would you just be with us as we just plead as a church? Use us for your namesake. We'd love to see revival. We ask for revival in Southern Illinois. May your name be glorified here and to the nations. In Jesus' name we pray now.